Welcome back to the Two Promises Podcast. Let's dive right into another exciting adventure with BD and crew as he pursues his new passion of one day finding the best, most epic bourbon. The Two Promises team sends their special thanks to Hobie and the Huckleberries for that masterful theme music. So grab a glass, relax, and enjoy responsibly. Baby says she'd leave it if I don't stop drinking wine. So I switched to whiskey and I'm feeling fine. Drinking that smooth, smooth whiskey. No more wine. I like straight bourbon. Oh, baby, you try the ride. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you joining us we are recording on the bd bobber we're doing a joint recording right now we have a special guest we have kent palmer if you've been following the show you know kent palmer from the wedding and all of the amazing things that we did there i'll let him talk more about that because obviously it was his wedding but i just wanted to kind of set the stage and as you know kent is a united states marine corps veteran combat veteran from iraq and we're coming up on Veterans Day, and I couldn't think of a better guest to have right now than Kent Palmer. So, Kent, we both got to celebrate your special day, and it was a lot of fun. So, what do you have to, to add on to that? We'll do a little battle damage assessment of the wedding now that it's, the dust has settled a little. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it was really one of the best days of my life next to the kids being born. But, you know, it was, I've sat here and thought about how amazing it was to have people that I love dearly come from all over the country that my wife loves dearly come from all over the country and just spend their day with us. I mean, who, who really, who are we that everybody would think that we're that special to come, to come see us? And it was really just a great, wonderful day and something that I will always remember. And, you know, Brent, I really, I mean, I got to I will always be owe you a debt of gratitude for, for coming out to the wedding and, and seeing us. Oh, man, it was my pleasure. I, I worked in the world once I saw how everything was going this year. I had two non-negotiables of the year, and one was to launch this podcast on September 13th, and the other non-negotiable was to be at your wedding and in the appropriate attire. So we did it, and one, thank you for inviting me and just having me there. I, I had a blast. It was necessary. Yeah, you know, Carson still talks about you chasing them around with the ring bears, little sheriff badge, you know? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was so fun. Um, yeah. yeah, so tell me about the kids. Yeah, they're, you know, the kids are really, I mean... That was one thing I really like seeing with you is interacting, and, like, obviously, if you don't mind, if I can ask a couple questions, like, they're on some different... They have some different health concerns, right? Right, yeah, so... You have to balance that every day as a dad or as a parent, and... yeah whatever it is yeah. that's going on in their life. So that's kind of interesting to me. If you don't mind, if that's not too personal, you want to mm-hmm. kind of add that? Because I know we had sure. to make some extra stops for different things. Sure, yeah. You know, if it wasn't for the kids, I mean, we're a blended family. So Elena has her three, Haley, Carson, and Alex. And I came in with my two, Skyler. And Aubrey and Skyler are type 1 diabetics. Aubrey got diagnosed at two years old, and Skyler got diagnosed. Here's the goal on my birthday. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, if it wasn't for having the kids around, I think that my drive to succeed would be much less. 
So, so in some ways, you say, I mean, I, I've heard that a lot from just different, different parents, is that just having that child is almost more than enough to just kind of keep that motivation fire rolling. Or yeah, to, yeah, because you don't have a choice. I mean, <laughs> you know. They're brand new lives. They're relying on you for everything. Yeah, and I mean, that, you know, there have been times where the perils of being a veteran with post-traumatic stress is tried to say, oh, well, you know, like, speaking in your ear, like, you being a parent, that's important. This is, I'm going to take you down. And, you know, being a parent kind of looks back, looks at that demon back in the face and says, watch this. I'm going to take care of this kid, and it doesn't matter what it takes. And so I think it's a beautiful thing. So parent, guidance, mentor, you're responsible for them. And in a lot of ways, as like, say, any type of position in the military, whether you're a fireman, fire team leader, squad leader, you know, whatever, platoon commander, it could go however, you know, you have a responsibility towards protection, mentorship, and guidance, you know, for, for all of the people underneath you. So parenthood, in a lot of ways, is just another, like, parallel, if you will, for mm -hmm. like, some military leadership principles. And then now we want to yeah. talk about some of the trauma that can, can occur, which would be that PTSD. So you and I have known each other for quite a while. Whenever I was doing a few different things to kind of, you know, build a business, build a brand, try to put some good out in the world, try to figure out what, you know, stamps or what I was, what message I wanted to have, what my voice wanted to be. And essentially, this led me to, it led me to this podcast. And even before I was doing podcasts, I was kind of trying around with some videos. And even you shared a few videos of your own to kind of help me spread that message a little bit more. So I want to say thank you for, you know, your long-term friendship, long-term support, and your passion for mental health and health awareness initiatives, veterans initiatives, reducing suicide, and just being a good person and, and helping people out. So I want to say thanks for that. And if you want to share a little bit of your story with anything you, sh you know have shared with me before or you know a message that you might have for our listeners you are a wealth of knowledge and information and experience and they'd love to hear some of your uh, some of your whatever it is you have to say some of your stories they get a lot out of it for sure absolutely man absolutely you know i wouldn't first off i wouldn't say that i'm any kind of expert i just kind of you know every day i learn day by day and there's there's days that i actually don't even believe that I have post-traumatic stress, but I think that in and of itself is post-traumatic stress talking. But I think, you know, one of the first things someone told me when I was still in the Marine Corps is they said, you know, when you get out, it's going to get real bad, and it's going to get worse. And you know the typical thing when you're in, you think like, oh, whatever, you know, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. It's going to be awesome when they're not. Yeah, oh yeah, it's like, oh no, that's not going to happen to me, that's just them, I'm different. So you got that little, whatever you call it. Right, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, a lot of veterans go through that. And it doesn't matter, you know, whether you saw combat, whether you did anything, it doesn't matter. There's going to be at some point in time when you get out of the military that, you know, there's going to be some demons to haunt you. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a very good point, Kent. Thank you for bringing that up. It is very, it's all across the board, it's an issue for, you know, veterans, service members, and I think yeah. it's very important for us to kind of recognize that, honor that, and know that even if 
someone didn't have the exact same experience that we had or if their experience was different that they are still fighting some of those demons, different demons, demons that we might not have been exposed to, but they're still yeah. there nonetheless. So I think that that's great. You brought mention to that, especially with Texas Day right around the corner. And definitely appreciate that, that peep. It's not just the service members that saw combat. It's not just the service members that got injured. It's not just the wounded warriors because there's really a lot of stuff that just people in general struggle with. Well, you know, I mean, you think about some of the hardest guilt to take. It's that, that guy that was in the military that says, well, I didn't do anything, you know, and I feel really bad about it. And now I'm going to live my life for the rest of my life feeling like a failure because I didn't do anything. And like I think point. that's just a lie that a lot of times we allow ourselves to believe. And we allow ourselves to lower the credit, lower the score on what we do because we are naturally our own worst critics. And whenever that happens, we devalue all of the things that we have accomplished and we have done. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, the biggest thing that, you know, we can ever do is, is raise our right hand and take that oath and sign that piece of paper. That's all you got to do to make you a great person, a great American, as far as, you know, a good veteran. You know, you don't have to deploy or anything like that. And like you said, that's a big lie that a lot of people buy into. And, I mean, you talk to half these guys that go to the VA, I bet you most of them haven't deployed. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, what are you going to say to them, you know? It's something that shouldn't be shouldn't Yeah, be and, and if I may interject, that's an issue that I've been having problems with is talking to medical professionals, counselors, just these different people, and they're trying to help, but they have zero perspective and zero framework for what it is that I actually did and some of the anxieties that I have because of it. So whenever they just see me, they don't know how to act or to react because they're not used to it. Right. And so then they just automatically assume that I have some type of, like, crazy mental health disease when it's like, no, hello, stop watching Rambo and figure out what PTSD actually is. Right, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, there's different levels of post-traumatic stress, right? I mean, and when you have someone that is telling you, hey, this is how I'm feeling, and they're very, you know, matter-of-fact about it, I don't think that the mental health community gets that a lot. I think they have people that don't tell them exactly how they're feeling. Yeah, so there's some people that are a little bit more... Well, here's the other thing. One, there's so much different information out there. I didn't know what PTSD was whenever I got out. Uh I'll tell a little bit about my story, if you don't mind. Yeah. I did five deployments as a special operator all over the world. Three of them to active combat zones where... You know, bang, bang was going on, and then some other ones where bang, bang was definitely going on, but we were limited in our ability to bang, bang back. So, quite a bit of experience. Some of the best freaking SEALs of our era were my mentors and my trainers, so I couldn't have asked for a better run, but I just felt off, and I felt like maybe I was a liability. And I remember I spoke about this on the Devil Doc Talk Show, and he kind of helped kind of clue me in, like you just mentioned hey, you, we did a lot of great stuff. We just don't give ourselves credit for it a lot of times. And then that devalues it, and then we lose some of that love that we had in some of those dark areas as well. So we have to maintain that value. We have to continue honoring our accomplishments, honoring our experience, and that's just going to help us mentally down the road. 
So, yeah. but I, I felt I had anxiety attacks. I didn't know what an anxiety attack was, but I started having them, and I felt like I wasn't strong enough, good enough, smart enough that I was going to be a liability. So I decided I was going to take a knee, seek some help, and figure it out. Well, in the process of that, I wanted to take a knee. I just went into the reserve forces, and that's when I really started learning about some of the signs and symptoms of PTSD. Like I listen to like a speaker or I do a TED Talks or, or I listen to a TED Talks or something and I'd be like, oh, that's me. I have that. I do that. Yeah, right. So tell me, whenever I was at the wedding, if it's not too personal to share, you kind of told me something that it's something that I kind of went through in similar ways, maybe not exactly the way you describe it, but it was close enough that I'd, I'd like to hear it again if you don't mind. And we were at the wedding. We were kind of cleaning up. You guys were getting ready. Everybody's getting ready to leave. And, you know, you had a few moments, so you started kind of asking me some questions, how I'm doing, checking in, doing the buddy check. And you kind of told me about whenever it was really bad for you, you were kind of like alone, isolated in your house, and you were kind of like, you know, clearing all the windows exteriorly. Like you're setting security and you're you're like, oh, yeah. you're going through your house, like looking for threats outside of your house, like you're about to be attacked or ambushed. Or at least just you're setting your, your security posture high so that if you are attacked or ambushed, you know where to shoot from in all of these different, you know... Yeah. fields of fire. So if you don't mind telling me a little bit about that, I thought that was very powerful. Well, I lived in a apartment complex at the time, and I had been, I'd had a few drinks, I'd been drinking for actually quite a while, probably about six to eight hours, and I normally look out the window, whether I wasn't drinking or, or I was drinking, I'm always looking out the window, I cannot stand, you know, not knowing what's going outside, and I caught myself, you know, I mean, at the risk of sounding crazy, because this is probably going to make me sound crazy, but well, I caught my... Well, this is a mental health uh, advisory or awareness podcast, <laughs> so I think it's okay. Yeah, but I caught myself, you know, tying off windows across the uh, apartment complex there, and looking through windows, and, and I said, man, what are you doing? You know, you're in your house, this is America, <laughs> what are you doing? You're just drunk, man, you're just drunk, you need to sit down and shut up, and... You know, I would venture to bet that most veterans have done something like that at some point in time. Whenever they talk about all those questionnaires, constantly on alert, constantly on guard, ever vigilant. Whenever we think about the things we do, we don't think, oh, I was in a strong security posture as I was in the uh, grocery aisle. And no, but that hypervigilance, yeah. hyper alertness can be there even if we don't necessarily recognize it and give it a name. Yeah, right. And I think, you know, hyper even to this day, Hypervigilance is a big, I call it my little buddy. You know, it's, it's just there. Yeah. It's constant there. And, you know, I think people that are around me, like my wife and the kids, they probably don't notice it a lot because I don't want to make this stuff a big deal. I think most guys don't want to make it a big deal, but it just becomes something that you do. It's kind of who you are and what you do. And I think it's actually can be very good most of the time, but then there's some times where it, it's kind of bad. Absolutely. And it's a roller coaster kind of the way I've kind of described it is like some days I have bad days, some days I have, you know, good days, but every day it's, it's a fight. It's, you know how they yeah. say rinse do every day or all these little motivational tagliners. Whenever it comes to mental health, I mean, it's real. Yeah, it is. You know, and here's the thing is that here's what I've learned. If I could take two big takeaways from, from the day that I got out until now is this, is that number one, don't underestimate what post-traumatic stress can do and what effect have on you and those around you and then the other thing is that you know you can't ever just isolate yourself 
and break away from people that care about you, like your whoever they may be, your best friend, your mom, your dad, your wife, whoever. Luckily for me, I got I got a big support network. I could think of easily five to ten people right now that would pick up the phone and do anything for me if my wife wasn't around to do it. But not everybody's like that. Not everybody has that support network. And I will say this, once you, because you can have all the support in the world, okay? But once you break away, the longer you're away, the longer you isolate, the easier it becomes to isolate. Wow. And that's, the that's more, really powerful. Do you mind if I interject there? Go ahead. Okay. So, a couple very powerful points that you said. Never underestimate what PTSD can do and, you know, the value of that support network. So, I think that if you don't have a support network, start building one. You know what I mean? That's just like a really yeah. quick key takeaway anyone can do. And that's just by like, you know, what's that golden rule? Like, treat others how you would like to be treated. And like, if you don't know how to reach out, like the first step is just do it. And you'd be surprised. Yeah. If you're afraid to reach out, you'd be surprised how many people are willing to give you that helping hand. You just got to act right. the right way. And sometimes we get a little in our heads or in ourselves and we don't act the right way and we create more friction than we actually solve problems. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right, man. Well, I would be bringing those up. I, I want to kind of add one more thing you mentioned. Yeah. So wait, but reaching out to support now. Yeah, there are two points I kind of thought about. Two things I thought about. One, when I'm in my peak of anxiety, it's hard about all those people who said just call me anytime you need it doesn't always go through my brain because I'm right. already in that almost animal-like state by that. That's point. right. So, so yeah. I don't think, oh, a million people told me to call them if I needed anything. You might have those one or two, you know, but hold strong to those one or two and make sure those one or two, you know, you take care of and, you know, be a friend of them. You know, keep putting, you know, sometimes I use the analogy of like a bank account. Like if a relationship's a bank account, how many times do you make a deposit, a deposit into that relationship? And how often do you make withdrawals? That's right. That is so right. Yeah. Yeah. So with your support network, you just do need to make sure that, you know what's so well, funny? Well, like, what's that? Well, like, you know, one of my people in my support network is Joe Welliver. You know him well. Mm -hmm. And I will tell Joe Welliver anything. I'll tell him anything that needs to be told. And, you know... He's pretty smart. He knows that, okay, if he hasn't heard from me in a certain amount of time, like a comm check, then he'll drop a line in and be like, okay, what's up? Because like having those buddies who can read and react off of your, your behaviors and your body language, and then we'll, yeah. they'll, they'll reach out anyway. So that's even the next step. Right. So thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Joe is. Yeah, because guy, he really is. I, you know, <laughs> you want to talk about a guy that you want in combat out of combat when you're 80 years old and 70 years old, that's the guy you want next to you. Absolutely. Whenever I was super stressed at your wedding, yeah, Joe was the dude that uh, kind of helped me out. Yeah. He's one of those dudes, man. Awesome. So reaching out for help, that's a big thing that you pinged on. Love it. Now, yeah. we're in COVID, right? It's hard for us to kind of have any conversation without somebody bringing up the COVID. So uh -huh. I guess I'll do that. But again, part of this is giving people some of those skills to, you know, prevent or to, to, to thrive in some of these difficult times, right? Yeah. So, with that being said, isolation. We are being forced to self-isolate. And you were talking about having that support network that you can go to, that community, that tribe, that body of people who know you, who take care of you, who care about you. And now we have to self-isolate. 
So that can be a danger for anyone who's had mental health issues or maybe are starting to develop mental health issues due to stress or environment conditions or whatever. So mm-hmm. isolation is, is, a, is a very powerful tool. Did you have some anything you wanted to share on that or do you think we already kind of covered most of those well, bases on isolation? Well, I think, you know, the biggest thing about isolation is you got to figure out what your triggers are. And it'll take you some time to figure this out. And the trigger will start out very, very subtly. Subtly is very, that's what I was looking for, subtly. And if you can catch it, you know, when it first starts, that's the best time. Because like you pointed out, once your anxiety meter, meter pegs, you know, to the hard right, it's hard to kind of come down and back down off of that. And you got to catch it before you start to, before you let the isolation get to you with the COVID. You know, and just isolation with veterans. Because veterans, for some reason, we always want to isolate. Oh, nobody knows what I'm going through. And, you know, we kind of get down on ourselves. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. We just kind of have that chip on our shoulders or that strong man attitude or whatever. And nobody, oh, woe is me. Nobody's been through what I've been through. Nobody knows. But the surprising fact is, you know, a lot of people have. They have very shared, similar experiences. And So, you know, my wife. You know, she doesn't have post-traumatic stress, but she's dealt with it for for some years now due to her job. So she's seen it. And so you will be surprised by just how many people do know it and can get a, have a firm grasp of it. Absolutely. And Especially when it comes to anxiety, because the things that, like, give different people anxiety are different. And so, like, there'd be some yeah. things that don't give me anxiety at all. They don't even register on my radar because... They're in my subconscious now. But with so many people, these anxieties do register on their radar. And so they've been fighting these wars in a different way. And now they have some things that they could share with us, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I get, on a normal basis, I get pretty stressed out about small things. And I don't even realize that I'm stressed out. But everybody else around me realizes I'm stressed out because of, Something that I'm exhibiting, maybe my attitude, okay, maybe the look on my face. And so I think with post-traumatic stress, with trauma, the biggest, one of the bigger things is figuring out what your emotional state is. That's a very good point. And one thing that I would like to kind of piggyback on there, if you don't mind, is something that I really appreciated in one of my previous romantic relationships, you know? So my girlfriend at the time, she was very, very good at noticing kind of when I would start those trigger states. Uh And she would just, in the quietest, calmest, most gentle, sweet way, just ask me if everything was okay. And whenever I, that was just enough. Whenever I heard her just ask me that, I stopped and I thought, and I was like, oh, you know what? I actually am okay. I'm doing fine. I was just in my head. I was in the moment, and I was having a, you know, a trigger, but... Thanks for bringing me back to reality. Thanks for recentering me, regrounding me, and I just thought that that was super special. Right. Yeah. Do you know? I mean, having someone, having a wife or a girlfriend that is willing to understand post-traumatic stress, that is willing to bear some of the burden, because let's not joke or kid ourselves here. That's part of what they've got to do, and if they're yeah, yes. you're so right. That's so right. That's so powerful, too. So, I mean, just because you said it, and I'm excited. I just want to say it. And the thing was is she had no idea, really, what my job was or what I've done or what any of my roles and responsibilities were. 
She oh. was just a caring soul, and she had no yeah. clue, you know? And I just thought that that was, like, very profound. Because English isn't her first language, you know what I mean? So a okay. lot of these cultural references that I just take for granted, she yeah. has really no idea, you know, what they're all about. And it's, you know, I think for people that are dealing with, with trauma, having that special person, even more so than a Joe Welliver, is very helpful because there's a different kind of, like, connection. There's just a different type of connection whenever it's not with one of your bros. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, you could tell one of your bros, like, dude, I really want to and you know, kill that dude right now. You know, but you're not going to tell your significant other that. At least I don't want to, you know. I would be a little intimidating for him. Might you know, a like, little bit. You know. Yeah, that, that might uh, not be your significant other for very long. Right. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but, you know, you're with that person constantly. You know, your buddy, you only see him so often. You only talk to him so often. And they don't know every little nuance. Whereas that one person, that special person, with you a lot, and they do know your nuances. That's true. They see you day in, day out, not just in work mode, but in everyday mode, which I think is very important. That's something that I've been kind of adapting to now that I'm kind of transitioning myself is uh -huh. work rent can be scary. Work uh -huh. rent can be mean. Yeah. But work rent yeah. gets shit done. Right. So I think whenever people are used to interfacing with me as happy-go-lucky Brent Lloyd who just wants to kind of hang out and have a good time and smile, and then all of a sudden Brent needs to get some work done in the civilian world, Brent can be pretty intense. Yeah. So, yeah, and – no, go ahead. Yeah, having those people who recognize those things about you and support you and kind of balance you so you don't go high order over, you know, the wrong yeah. reason. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, and here's one of the things about having post-traumatic stress is that your meter of being at a normal level of, I guess, happiness and not angry is all messed up. So what a normal person wouldn't be angry at something about, somebody with post-traumatic stress will be. And it's hard to see that when you're in the middle of it. Very true. And you know, so that's why it's good to have that second set of eyes, like that guardian angel, saying, hey, man, like, or hey, babe, you, you know, you you kind of handled that situation at that stoplight back there when it gets uh, kind of crazy. You know, let's work on it next time. Absolutely. You know? Like a mentor, a guide, a help meet, everything. And it's, it's yeah. so powerful. So thanks for yeah. sharing that because, one, it's something that I need to work on in my life. And also I encourage anyone who's, you know, struggling right now mentally or otherwise and you just need you just you just need a little help, you need a good conversation. Well, one, tune into this podcast. That's what that's all about is bringing that, that dialogue home, bringing that just nice living room feel, nice conversation to you wherever you want to push play. So this is a starting point if you'd like to use it. And then from there, start developing that that comfortable place for yourself, for your relationships, and for your mind, and for your peace. So start here, and then start growing outwards. Well, start with yourself. This is a tool that you can use with yourself, and then start growing from there, and finding those, you know, helpful individuals, those guardian angels, like Kent's been talking about, and then also recognize all the guardian angels that have been in your life the entire time, that have been supporting you in different ways, whether that's just a, hey, cheer up, or a comment on one of your posts whenever they can tell you're down or someone who, you know, says prayers for you or sends you packages. Those are also guardian angels. They're just ones that 
just keep doing it regardless like that what do you call it that love the unconditional love like they just keep going and then you'll have your little guardian angels that like pop in every once in a while so there's a, a lot of ways you can find these i'm using the term guardian angel because you used it but you're understanding the the, prog the yeah. progression of this little yeah concept so thank you for sharing it real quick it is i'm checking the clock for you kent i know you said you got a lot of stuff going on it is the hour has elapsed elapsed i'm okay to keep going if you're okay but if you need to go i'm fine no, I'm fine. Okay, cool. <laughs> Perfect. So, all right. So we got some guardian angels. So you told me about finding the guardian angels, which I love it, and recognizing the guardian angels that have always been there because you talked about kind of families and stuff too. So I love it. We're doing great. So here we are. Where are you at? Where are you at? What, what do you got for me? Let's ping, ping well, back. Let me throw, throw it to you a little bit and see, see, see well, where we're going. You know, I think, I think one of the reasons, and I'm going to go back to isolation because I think that, you know, a lot, and, a, and any veteran that's really been isolated and really been on the verge of just saying, you know what, I'm going to down this bottle just because I can, you know, and is, is in a really bad place, not necessarily suicidal, but just in a bad place mentally. I think they'll tell you this at some point in time. It feels good. Yeah. It feels good to just sit there and dwell on the hate and the misery. And be pissed off, man. Just think about what happened, you know, in Iraq or Afghanistan or Vietnam or wherever you deployed to, you know, and just grit your teeth and grind your teeth and embrace that. Embrace the hate. But you know something? I mean, that's what we were trained to do, man. Successful, productive, loving life. You got to slowly but surely break away from that. And I think that, you know, it's a lot harder, you know, done. Yeah, I think I can, can. I'm following what you're saying. So part of it's like, you know, respect it, embrace it, have right. that healthy exactly. remembrance of it, because if you forget it, you're going to forget the lesson. Right. That's exactly what I'm trying but to say. But don't yeah. dwell on it. Don't let it become toxic. Don't let it consume the good parts of it. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, you're, you're being a lot more articulate than I am right now. No, but, no, you're doing great. You're the one saying it. I'm just basically rephrasing what you're already saying and hoping yeah. that I'm mixing this audio right because I'm trying to avoid these clicks, but I think we're doing all right. But yeah, no, that's incredible. Well, because, you know, I feel like a lot of veterans, they feel like they have poor flashbacks. You know, one of the things that I feel, I personally feel myself on a regular basis is like, you know, I'd like to go back and get some revenge. You know, get some revenge for, for maybe Kyle or, or just, you know, I just want to go back there and get some revenge. But for what though, man? What's that revenge going to do? You know, and I think that as the years go on, I find myself thinking that less and less and less. So and I, I'm going to just kind of paraphrase again. So from what I'm hearing and what it sounds like is that you're shifting a little bit away from that eye for an eye mentality. You're still ready to do it. You can still pluck out some eyes with a freaking rifle at freaking, you know, a kilometer away, but you're thinking a little bit more, hey, do we need to? Do I need to? Yeah, right, because, I mean, all you're doing at that point is fighting the battle in your own head, and, you know, the battle's already gone. It stopped. You know, Iraq's done and gone, man. Now it's time to look ahead, live life, love life, and, and stop. Wow, that's a really powerful way to say that. Thank you for sharing that. Something you said was like, you know, Iraq's over with. Your deployment to Iraq or your experience to Iraq is over with. So right now you're just taking all that negative energy and you're letting it pollute your own life. So 
One, I think we have an innate desire to fight things. Two, we have an innate desire to fight things that hurt us and potentially are still continuing to hurt us. So there's a lot of reasons why we might be psychologically motivated to go back to some of those spaces. I get it. Believe me. But what Kent's saying, from what I understand, right, Kent? Like, just, just tell me if I'm wrong. What you're saying is there's still battles to be fought. Stop dwelling on the past and find your new battle. Find something more productive. Find something healthier. Find something that is going to create that things that you're trying to fight against, you know, the good pieces, right? Instead of just stewing on how we can kill and fight some of the bad pieces. Right. Yeah. It's something that you have no control over. I think anybody that's been in some serious, you know, in a serious firefight, they'll tell you one thing. And one of the biggest things is do what you control control and ignore the rest. That's very powerful. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you're taking a RPK machine gun, to the point to where you just can't move, what can you do? You know, do what you can do. Who's left? We'll start digging it. You know, I mean, I don't know how, if that makes any sense or not. It makes perfect sense. I was just having some tech issues saying stuff. It makes perfect sense. And that's kind of something that started this little strange journey for me, if you don't mind me sharing, Mm -hmm. is it was just kind of like a process of almost like a survival type thing or whatever. Like, I don't know how many people gone to survival camps or read books about it or anything it might get interested so i'm going to tell like a little survival story i guess of just like you know whenever you're building your shelter you find yourself in the survival area and you're like oh well i got some trees i got some leaves i got all these things right so Mm -hmm. what am i going to use what do i need so you just look around and you take inventory of what you've got what's around you and what you can build what you can do what are some needs you're going to have in the future right so I just started building. I was like, well, what's around me? I have my, you know, a place to stay. I have shelter. I have this. I have access to food. I have these tools. What other tools am I going to need to build a podcast? Oh, I need microphones. I need whatever makes the microphones work. So it was just this, like, almost survival mode, just exactly what you're saying, taking a look at what's around me, taking a look at what I can use, and, and just starting to try to build something. Yeah. And I think, you know, you can oftentimes you can get overwhelmed with your situation in life and the uh and life keeps throwing new things at you so even if you plan for tomorrow there's gonna be new freaking you know yeah pops that are yeah. coming your way yeah right and that render your other plan useless so yeah i think any, any veteran should be able to tell you that plan a always goes to crap and plan c is usually the one that you go with absolutely yeah i love it <laughs> So my kind of thing now is just like whenever I'm putting plans together, I'm seeing what's failed in the past. I'm trying to foresee other potential things. And then at some point, I'm just kind of saying it's time to just go. I can't make everything perfect. I can't foresee everything. So yep. it's time for me to just take action, get moving, and start building and, and creating and what that life that I kind of want or that feeling around me that I believe is something that's healthy and strong. So I'm in the process of creating it, and it's crazy. But go ahead. And what happens normally when you say, okay, well, hey, it's go time. Look, I can't control everything. I just got to let some stuff go. What normally happens in life, it usually almost always pans out to work out. Absolutely. You know, you, you might have some negativity here and there, but at the end of the day, most of the time, everything works out. Yeah, and it's so true. And it's so true. So that's another thing that I've been trying to remind myself of. I'm glad you reminded me as well. That's a whole part of 
this process for me too is just getting as many of these reminders of the techniques and the things that I know work to try to reinforce them in my own brain even better. So that's part of my kind of journey and my story and why I'm trying to do a few of those things. But yeah, like you said, whenever you say it and I hear it, it's just so much more powerful. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we can sit here and think all day about stuff, but until you hear someone else say it, it's like, okay, it validates it. It's like, oh, wow, okay. That did make sense what I was thinking. Yeah, it gives it a little bit more power almost. So you get that validation, you get that power, and you're like, and then that's almost like that motivation, right? So instead of using that child or someone that, or a pet, like I'm kind of doing, you know what I mean, to kind of give me that motivation, it's finding those little hidden reserves of motivation in Uh our behaviors, in our day-to-day, in our little tips, in like our little reminders that we give ourselves. And I think that's something that I've been using that's been fairly helpful for me. Yeah, right, yeah. And that's very good because I think, you know, most people generally, especially, you know, if speaking of veterans or people, somebody with post-traumatic stress, because you don't have to just be a veteran to have post-traumatic stress. You could be a rape victim. You could be, you know, have a head Thank you so much for bringing that up. That's been something that I like kind of highlighting, so I'm glad that you said it. Go ahead. I mean, absolutely. But, you know, especially people with post-traumatic stress, they tend to not trust themselves. When they think something, it's like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. I'm going to fail. You know, I'm going to fail. And you're telling yourself that. But I think hearing somebody else say what you thought is powerful. That's what's so important about not isolating. Okay. Like hearing other people, is that what you're saying? Yeah, because oftentimes other people around you are going to say something that you already thought about. And you're like, okay. All right, so I was right about that. Right. You know? It kind of reinforces some of those those things that you already believed and you already knew were true, but it, like, it gave it more power. Perfect, yeah. So my transition story. So I'm glad you're sharing a lot about yours. You don't mind if I just kind of throw in a couple little tidbits? Yeah. So, one, I love hearing about your transition story because it's super helpful because that gives me knowledge for mine and to share with, with others. So my transition story... It was still pretty heavy fighting whenever you got out, right? I got 2014. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you were in the thick of it for a long time. You've seen a lot. And so now you're transitioned in. So the weird thing for me is the wars have kind of ebbed and flowed in my kind of realm. Mm -hmm. But whenever I went and I transitioned and I said, okay, for real this time, I'm going to, you know, try to reduce my dependency on shooting people for a living. What am I going to do? I'm going to start a new life and try something different. Oh, hello, COVID. Goodbye, jobs. (laughs) (laughs) So with all of that, I mean, it just adds to the stressors for me. And I'm not trying to like, you know, whine here, but whenever you have all of these large organizations that are systemically designed to like take care of their employees... And then all of a sudden you have these big issues where finances are concerned, budgets are in concern, and now you're trying to figure out who you're going to release funds to and when and where you're going to give people treatment and how you're going to get people in treatment protocols, which leads me back to some of those things where I got misdiagnosed bipolar in my initial uptake interview. My medical health, such general health uptake interview, the psychiatrist thought that she had the power to do a snapshot diagnosis before she even finished her freaking eight-page questionnaire for the patient. So 
everybody's stressed. Everybody's got this weird stuff going on. And then they're compounding stress by, you know, not abiding by their Hippocratic oath and doing their jobs the way that is ethical. And so, you know, that just compounds. And, and a lot of people are going through that. A lot mm-hmm. of people. So I think it's important for us to know that. And I've seen it a lot more lately. Whenever it first happened, there was like zero grace to be found anywhere. But now as yeah. people are starting to kind of like recognize that everyone is struggling, everyone's got issues, everyone's going through this together. I think a lot of people have pumped the brakes on some of their venom, you know, mm-hmm. have been a lot more inviting, accepting, tolerant as we kind of get through this together. Yeah. It's definitely been a tough time. I know that my wife, with her job, throughout all this, and for the, with the kids, it's just been a tough time. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, you had the wedding stress, because you had to plan that. You had oh, people God. coming from all over. You had weirdos like me jabbering about silly things. And luckily, we <laughs> had some Joe Wellivers and some other great devil dogs there, two to kind of square away this sailor, because I was a, what'd they say? I looked like a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I had uniform items everywhere. My pants weren't tailored. Hey, Hey, man. It is what it is. And look, you're not going to be able to tell them the pictures, and that's all that matters. (laughs) Right? So I'm just super grateful for you and all the boys of Lima Battery and how they they helped out this old sailor or young sailor for you guys. But You went through hell and back to get that uniform there. And, you know, I really appreciate it. I tell you, Brett, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And I have some thanks to mention to some of the good people at FedEx that kind of helped make that happen after they kind of helped not make that happen. But I have those in a different notebook. I'll add those at a different time. But there were some very amazing people in that customer support thing that kind of helped me through a lot of their their complicated bureaucratic processes and systems and implementation of said processes and systems. Yeah. I think, you know, with any big with any big business, it turns into a bureaucracy. Yeah, and it's hard for them to do. They, a lot of times when you're making decisions at the top, you don't know what people are doing all the way at the ground level, what yeah. software interfaces do with what your new updates do. And can yeah. you add this? Can you change this menu? You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, yeah. How I do mean, you communicate that to the customer? Do we communicate yeah. it to the customer? How do we make money? Yep. Where do we withhold the truth? Where do we give the truth? A lot yeah. of stuff going on out there. Yeah, but at the end of the day, they still, you know, they got it to you, and, you know, that's... I know, I know, I'm... and I was not a comfortable person to talk to on the phone, so I'm super stoked again. Like I said, I got some thanks to give out. I want to get the names right. That's the reason I'm holding off, so thanks to everyone yeah. who listened to me on the phone and helped get that uniform there for Ken's wedding, because it meant a ton to both of us. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. That's some awesome stuff, so... We have your wedding. So what's next? Where are we going next? What's the next step for you? You just got married. You're still on the honeymoon phase. You've got the beautiful kids with such great personality. I think we're just kind of like living life like any typical American, you know, going to work, taking care of the house. We're trying to build the house and do all that, all the stuff that goes with that, you know, and and make sure these kids don't turn out to be, you know, hooligans. (laughs) That's what I'm worried about, is building these kids up to be good, upstanding citizens. That's awesome. You know, my youngest, he says he wants to join the Marine Corps, and I say, to myself, I say, I don't really, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, I go yeah. to college. Just, right. just be a normal kid. <laughs> yeah, you got plenty of time to do that later. 
just, you know, grow up slowly. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the things that I wish, you know, I could have, I would have thought about more is what being a Marine would, how that would impact my children. Mm. I wish I would have kind of kept that from them in a way because, mm. you know, you, I see it in a different lens than what they might see it as, obviously, because it's, they see it as this big grand thing, and I'm like, eh, you don't really want to do that. <laughs> and that's, you know? that's what I notice the most, is so many people see the glitter and the glory and, like, some of, like, the positive romanticisms of different things, but yeah. they don't see the grit, they don't see the day-to-day, they don't see the what you actually have to do to, one, get there, and then, you know, succeed there. Succeed, yeah. That's the biggest thing is succeeding. You know, like so many people say, well, I want to be a, a law enforcement officer or something like that. Okay, well, you go, you know, you go do what you got to do to be that. Then what about, especially in today's climate, you know, what are you going to do there? About succeeding in that climate. Yeah, succeeding whenever now all of a sudden it's not just freaking donuts, coffee, and, you know, throw out a couple parking violations. Now it's, oh, riots. Yeah, I mean, kudos to the people that are doing it because... I wouldn't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. Big I, I don't know. Like, and I didn't I mean to undervalue that. I was just throwing out a little bit of humor. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's a constantly changing spectrum right now. Yeah, it's environment. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 And I think that's where you hit the nail on the head. So many people see that industry or that thing that they want to do and that they're excited about and they're passionate about. And then... They don't think, well, what's it going to take to actually do that job? What am I going to need to do on the day-to-day? And whenever you look at these huge, successful companies like FedEx, because we, we, we brought them up, I mean, they're doing stuff right. They've scaled. They've grown. They've gone through you know, all kinds of different political environments, economic environments. So they're doing great things. But I think, again, this is where veterans, especially in this time of the pandemic or people who've worked in kind of some of these fields, could really – do some great things for these companies that are having to pivot. Because I think kind of like what you were talking about, about mentorship and like fire team leader skills, all these small unit leadership techniques that kind of help uh, integrate systems, that help, you know, the creative problem solving you have to do. And I'll let you talk more about that because that's kind of your area. But this is where I think companies hiring veterans could really help themselves out in a big way exponentially, like a synergistic effect right now with all the pandemic because – they're going to bring a lot of those soft skills in leadership, communication, and just getting things done to really help out in this time. But anyway, yeah, you were the one that brought it up. So what do you got on that on some of these these leadership skills and small unit skills? Well, I think, you know, the biggest thing is, is not thinking you know everything and being willing to listen to people around you and seeing what they have to say. Humility. I like it. Yeah, humility. Because I think the moment that you, you know, you start to look at everybody else around you as like less than you, you're behind a power play. That's really strong. I mean, there's, you know, it sounds really cliche to say it, but there's no I in team. And whether your team is your family, you know, your kids and your wife, or your team is professionally at work or what have you, you know, you really got to look to the people around you to help. If you're trying to boost yourself and only yourself, that's not leadership. That's uh, selfishness. You know, leadership is about taking the people that are listening to you or are supposed to learn from you and making them succeed. That's a true test of a leader. Is Absolutely. 
helping them succeed, right? Getting them the tools to succeed. So while you're on it, I, you you were right. Humility, freaking helping out, freaking communication. Now here's where I've kind of traditionally struggled, and it's something that I've kind of been taking some actions and some measures in my own life to improve in this area of weakness. And anytime you're trying to grow in an area, it's like a troubleshooting or a problem solving exercise almost. But it's oh. accountability. I think that yeah. is one of the biggest things that we're missing right now as a generation, as a nation, as an organization, if you want to look at the military, the VA, whatever. And I think accountability right now is so huge. So as a leader, if you said that it's kind of your responsibility to encourage, support, foster their success, part of that, huge part of it that I think oftentimes goes unnoticed is the accountability piece. So how as leaders do we correct and hold people accountable in a way that still supports them, recognizes their, you know, that's not that aggressive, like let's just say PTSD over correction or over response to a, a less troublesome stimuli? Well, I think, you know, remembering, number one, that you're not in the military is the first thing, right? Because you can tend to use the military application to it. But looking at whether it's someone you're working with or your child or something, seeing that they're human. And if you have, you know, have accountability for something that they did, put yourself in their shoes. Understand why are they needing this help? Because a lot of times I think people don't understand it. And once you can kind of figure that out, you can help them. But I think, you know, a lot of times people don't even realize it themselves how to get out of a certain predicament. So and sometimes, like, the, like, let's just take for this example, the employee doesn't know how to ask for help or how to figure out how to do their job or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Is that what you're kind of saying? Yeah, the employee doesn't know how to ask for help. And then, even better, the person that he's asking help doesn't even know where to start well that's where the humility comes into okay well damn this person just asked me for help oh i'm not gonna sit there and a lot of people just sit there and you know bs their way through it the average person will sit there and bs their way through that situation and make it look like they did something when really you know you gotta i guess you could say move the contact right okay well yeah, find someone that knows how to do this and then once we can start figure it out now we all know there should be nothing wrong with that. But I think, especially in today's culture, it's like, well, you can't pull out your phone right away and figure it out. Well, who cares? You know, screw it. That's not necessarily the best thing to do, I think. Gotcha. So being a little bit more, let's see, what's the word? A little bit more intentional as leaders to right. break things down and maybe be more proactive. I think, let's use that word. I think that's a stronger word here is being a little bit more proactive as leaders to identify where potentially our the people that we're leading are struggling, to identify the areas of where we have not provided enough education, where we have not communicated clearly enough or in their communication style. So again, taking that, that next step back, reevaluating it through a different lens, and then coming up with a plan as a leader to correct it instead of just going directly to that employee and just disciplining or correcting them on the spot. Is, or doing it for them. Is that kind of what I'm hearing from what you're saying? Yeah, because a lot of times, you know, there's an issue at the bottom. It tends to become part of the – it tends to start from the top anyways. Very good point. Very good point. Okay, so I love it. This has been a freaking super awesome 
Veterans Day episode, we've covered a lot of topics. We've gone from, we're going to circle back around here. We're going to sum it up. We've, we've hit the business category. We've talked a lot about of a small unit leadership with Kent Palmer and his, you know, many years in the United States Marine Corps leading men into battle and bringing them home. So he has, he's a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of information, and he's sharing with me some of the things that he went through through his transition, helping me get some tools, techniques, some things that he learned the hard way or learned through a friend and, and how he's grown his support network. So some of the key points that, if you don't mind me just kind of bringing a summary up, is taking care of that support system, growing that support network, and some ways that you can do it. If you've already got one, great. Encourage it, foster it, nurture it. You've already got your garden or whatever you want to call it, you know. But maybe now it's if you don't have that yet, you're starting at a different spot. Well, now you need to grow your garden. You need to build your garden. So you're just finding out those – you're building that support network. You're finding those people that you can trust that are safe, that aren't going to do damage, that aren't going to you know, manipulate you or, or you know, intentionally or unintentionally. So finding those good people. You want to do another – a little wrap-up statement for that? Yeah. I mean, you know, what you said there, unintentionally or intentionally – it's actually really good because I think, especially with veterans, a lot of veterans will try to help you out, and they're just doing damage because they themselves are messed up. That's a very good point. That's something that I've been grappling with a lot professionally and, you know, in my transition. Keep going. Yeah, and so, you know, not every veteran out there is going to help you. Not every veteran out there can help you, and, you know, you really got to be selective in who you let into your inner circle because a lot of guys out there will throw you off track and put you in a worse place than you started. And uh, I think a lot of times it's because they're struggling too and they're grasping for it too and then their search for that peace or that freedom or that you know psychological release or whatever that unknown is that they're searching for, they're grasping onto you. And sometimes they're, you know, it's like whenever you're a rescue swimmer and you're going to rescue someone who's, you know, drowning or whatever. Sometimes their initial response is to just try to climb on top of you and just hold themselves out of water because they're freaked out, and then that impedes your ability to rescue them. Right. And both of you all drown. Right, exactly. So, But it's just really interesting to see how sometimes our natural instincts are counterproductive. So thanks for pointing that out. That's super huge. Um, yeah. All right. And then the self-isolation spiral. Whenever you start self-isolating and you start getting in your head and that negative self-talk that you started talking about that you were telling me about, it's dangerous, and you got to be able to, one, like you said, recognize those triggers. Recognize them quickly as possible before they kind of get out of control or cause a real big episode. And then, you know, work through your tools. And if your, your only tool is calling someone, call someone. And we're going to leave some resources in the show notes for this episode and the summary and everything so that you have some resources that you can call if you don't have a network and you need a place to start. And then... You'd also mentioned something else that I think would be a good little closure thing before I kind of wrap things up was you were talking about the descriptor of the term PTSD because I don't really necessarily know that I have PTSD. I have a lot of the PTSD symptoms for sure, and it is definitely a form of PTSD, if you will. But, I mean, for me, if I were to try to label what I think it is, I think mine's kind of like a combat, like, like a combat stress, like adaptation syndrome or like a, what do you call it? or a chronic stress anxiety disorder or something like that. But, of course, there was combat in there, and there was, like, intentional professional level intent to be good at, you know, war. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. it doesn't change the fact that it's all a cycle. It's, 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 it's 
all work together now. You know what I mean? So you were saying that you didn't really like how they were terming things? Is that what it was? Yeah, and I learned this from a a veterans group that I went to a few years back called Warfighter Advance. But basically, you know, everybody's known PTSD as PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And the term their disorder at the end of that, it's misleading. And it makes people subconsciously think they have something wrong with it. It's like a connotation of the word versus denotation of the word or just that, that psychological cue. Yeah, right, exactly. It, it, it paints it in a negative light right off the bat. Yeah, but in, in all reality is, you know, you go deploy and see some IEDs, get in some firefights, see some people get killed, miss your family for months on end, and you do all that if you happen to come back with, because not everybody comes back with post-traumatic stress, okay? If you come back with that, well, that's just, a, it's a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. There's parts of the world, as you all know, that people live that life every day of their whole lives. streets all the time, bombing each other and all that crazy stuff, right? In America, we have this beautiful ability to choose the things we want to fight. And sometimes the things we want to fight might not even need fighting. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. 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 I mean, we can go down a rabbit hole there. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, so we'll bring it back in. So you said PTSD. You didn't like it. So was it the disorder piece that kind of, that that last piece of it that kind of triggered you or kind of gave you that that negative feeling? Kind of disorder, okay? And this isn't a cancer, but cancer is a disorder. Your body is not supposed to have cancer. But if you go and damn near die, die doing something, whether it's a car wreck or you see some kind of trauma where your life is threatened, all right, it's normal to have PTSD. It's a normal thing. There's nothing wrong with it. So there should be no PTSD. It should be post-traumatic stress. Mm. I really like what you're saying there. Now let me, this is, uh, this is part of the, you know, the imagery of some of the symbols I chose in my, my logo. And one of them is the scalpel, right? So sometimes we're looking at nuance. Sometimes we're looking at delicacy, delicate things. And right now you're, you're talking about disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder. And you're saying no, it's just an abnormal function of a normal system in the body that's supposed to keep us alive or allow us right. to get food and allow us to overcome the environment around us. So a survival right. mechanism, right? So yeah. just because it's very well attuned and it's it's doing its job and it's, it's kind of specialized in that doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that it's a disorder. So I think what you're saying is like whenever you injure something, you create what we call dysfunction in the medical community. So right. the dysfunction is what we kind of would like to correct, but the ability of our body to maintain homeostasis and, and create a safe environment, we I don't think we necessarily need to kill or even like you know damage or tamper too much as long as you can improve the function, its function with the, the elements around it or the other parts of the body it interfaces with, interacts with, or is around. Does that make sense? Right, yeah. And, I mean, when you put it in that light, now it brings you to, and I don't want to go into too much of a rabbit trail here, but there's a billion-dollar economy out there dealing with how to treat post-traumatic stress. 
when it doesn't need to be that big of a deal, okay? It's a normal thing. But I'm going to leave it at that. You know, I don't want to go too, down too, too big of a rabbit hole. No, I'm glad that you mentioned it. I think that's very important. Anytime money is involved, it's an industry. It is, there is going to be educational tools. There's going to be commerce that centers around it. And anytime you have commerce centering around anything, you're going to get a lot of scammers, a lot of fakes, a lot of manipulators, a lot of people who are just trying to ride a little freaking high and put as much freaking green in their little pockets as they can because really that's all that they care about, which is super unfortunate whenever people are at the very end of this freaking ladder or stick or whatever you want to call it, left holding the bag day in, day out. And then we wonder why do we have high rates of suicide? I don't know, kind of curious. Well, I mean, okay, I'll put, okay, let me throw this out there, and I don't know whether you want to put this in or not, but I think part of the reason why we have such high rates of suicide especially amongst veterans, is the veterans, given the veterans are the ones that are, are used for all the medications. A lot of they, studies, is that what you're saying? Like trial studies to see if different therapies right. work, or just a lot yeah. of medica- medications that they're being prescribed? A lot of medications are being prescribed. I've known guys have been prescribed 10 medications at the same time. Wow. Okay. And what were and they all supposed to treat? Insomnia, post-traumatic stress, depression. Huh. All kinds different. of Oh, yeah, and, and like each med is supposed to create like a mechanism of action, a different like response within the physiology of the body, different hormonal changes. Yeah. Yeah. Did he start all of them at the same time? Yeah, they start all, and then what will happen is that they'll say, well, doc, this isn't really working for me. Oh, okay, and they'll pull them off. They'll just cold turkey to die. Yeah, and that's like help. a hoarding effect. And one thing I've noticed whenever I've been trying to get like pharmaceutical help is they're so highly regulated that it's hard for them to like refill certain prescriptions without another talk to the doc. And if you're in a, in a work environment like mine where you're always gone and moving and leaving, and then all of a sudden the meds that you do find that are actually working and, and you're having trouble getting them you know, refilled, that's a, that's a complication, right? And then anytime you end anything cold turkey, like you said, creates another affording effect type you know, spiral. Oh, so, so yeah, I mean, it's just, and that's my limited experience just trying to work on like one isolated like sleep issue a, a few years ago. So yeah. I can't imagine what it would be like to just go on this freaking crazy drug freaking roller coaster ride along with whatever it is that was stressing you in the first place that kind of that you wanted to ask help for to begin with. Well, let me put it in this light, Brett. You look at most of these mass shooters. The overwhelming majority of them were on psychotropic meds. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's and like I, it's almost like I don't know if I were to read between the lines and like maybe listen to what they're actually saying. It's like, hey, I'm asking for help and you are not helping me. Is it something I, like that, or like what do you think it is? Well, I think what it is is that number one, okay, if you're a patient and you got to realize that you have something called informed consent, and I'd venture to, be, to bet that most patients have never even heard of that term, informed consent. Okay, and basically, so what that is, is that you have the right to be told exactly what a medicine is going to do to you, whether it's good or it's bad. And I felt super rough whenever they tried to put me on Depakote, I think it was. They were just yeah. like, nope, we're sending it to you, and you better start, and we're doing lab work, and we're going to make sure that you're doing it, and we're going to monitor you like I'm on the like, you know, rehab program and making sure that, yeah. you know, I don't freaking smell booze. Yeah, it's, I look, man, it's so, it's, the way that it's being done across this country, 
the way that mental health, I should say, is being conducted across this country is is so poor. It's terrible. I mean, it, it is scary. And I think that, you know, one person saying it's not enough, there's got to be a, an awakening to it. Because you go to any veteran, most veterans have a cupboard full, especially combat veterans, have a cupboard full of psychotropic meds. I mean, full. And wow. Wow. that is what it is. It's that. But that's my two cents on that. Well, no, thank you for sharing. That's a lot of very valuable information. Informed consent. And so this is a term you said is required for each patient to have, right? Yeah. yeah. They are consenting with informed. So they've been educated. They know exactly or for the most part what these drugs are supposed to do and are going to do. And then yeah. if you take a patient population who's just seeking help and maybe they're not, you know, known for being people who do their own self-research. Maybe they didn't, they joined the military because they didn't like school too much. And then, you know, I'm just, I'm generalizing here, but I'm just trying uh -huh. to try to talk about what you're saying, paint a picture. So you got some kids and then now they're like, oh, well, you need this. This is what's going to help you with this. And this is what's going to help you with that. And so they just do it. And they don't understand that informed consent piece where if they don't feel comfortable, if they didn't ask enough questions, if they didn't like, you know, agree to the doctor's plan, treatment plan, then they can say no. Is that kind of what you're saying? Or that informed consent that they have the right to ask as many questions for as long as they need to to make sure it's the right plan for them. Is that what you're saying, right? That's what I'm saying. Because, because most of our patients don't understand that with psychotropic meds, there's something called black box warning. And basically it says, hey, this medicine has the potential to make you homicidal or suicidal. And, you know, and I think if most people saw the litany of side effects of a lot of these medicines, they definitely at least, at the very least, think twice about taking them. Okay? And so that's where that informed consent piece comes in. Hey, make your doctor tell you exactly what that medicine's going to do. Until you feel fully comfortable, don't take it. Very don't take it. Yeah, I love it. Because so, their job is to see as many patients as they can at the end of the day. So they want you in and out. They have a 30 minute window to get you in and out of their office. Wow. So it's more than 30 minutes, man. So are they paid based on like how many patients they've seen, or is it like a salary, or? Well, I think it depends. I mean, with the VA, it's probably different. But you figure with private sector, it's probably different, right? So, but they only have so much. They they've got to see the more. Okay. This was explained to me at at Warfighter event, and it's basically all profit driven by is how many pharmaceuticals can they take and push out for patients? Wow. Well, got to have more patients. And or you get a guy who's on 14 different things to treat one dysfunction. Right. It's like, yeah, to treat PTSD. All right. Okay. How are we going to do this, guys? We either need to find more patients to put pills down their throats, or we're just going to put more pills down the same patient's throats that we got. What's it going to be, men? Hear, hear. Okay. They're going to typically do what they're told. And, and you have a lot of respect for docs in your culture, right? Like, what? so now you've got this guy who's just been there, done that, helped you out, been there for you every time, and now you're going to the big doc factory. You know what I mean? So you're thinking, dude, this is freaking Christmas. And then you're like, yeah. wow, they gave me all these things. What do they do? Yeah. 
you know, chaos is what they gave me. One time they gave me a clonopin. And they never told me, here's where the 4% comes in, don't drink on that pill. Mm. And I had a beer on that. I had one beer. I was somebody that I didn't even recognize. I turned to some person that I never recognized. Oh, yeah. What was it? There was this one that we used to use pretty commonly just for help sleep and insomnia and short-term insomnia to kind of like reset. But like yeah. the, the interactions and like how it would cause different people to do different things was like really interesting. One time we got stuck on an airbase in uh, Southeast Asia for a while and we were trying to kind of reset because we were waiting for this certain piece of information so that we could actually go do our real job. We have all these guys that have been training and traveling and then now they're just pent up living in cots. You know, and they're not sleeping, and it's hot, and none of their little environments. You know how it is. So, but they're just trying to sleep so they can stay fresh. And so we've got a little bit of this emergency stuff in our little inventory, our authorized medical allowance list, or at least we used to. And so, you know, we used it, and like, dude, people would have some weird trips, like for real. And I'm just sitting there, like, watching them, like, trying to calm them down and get them back into their little cot. You know what I mean? That's the one, yeah. I knew it. I was more interested in the story than thinking about it, and if I gave myself enough time to think about it, it'd pop back up. But yeah, that's the one. Ambien will make you do all kinds of crazy stuff, and you know they, what they never tell you in the doctor's office is the moment you take it, you gotta go to bed. Yeah, you got a very limited window. The more your brain interacts with it, the more it kind of like keeps the brain awake and, and doing weird brain things. You see the wall floating, and like it's like you took a psychedelic mushroom or something. No. Yeah, and again, like a lot of these drug things have been have been attributed to a lot of these suicides, a lot of the drug interactions, and then, and that's an interesting thing I learned recently was that it's hard to track suicide because in the normal world, in the realm of emergency medicine, suicide's not listed really as a cause of death. It's all the other things that was put in the body to, to, to create the suicide, basically. So, because that's just not a box to check. But in the Veterans Administration, there is that box on the thing. So it is a baseline metric that we can use to kind of gauge the health of the country as a whole. While it's not the exact same metric, it's a useful tool. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's pretty fascinating. So that kind of goes back to this. Like, There's all kinds of things in this mental health thing and, and all these do good inputs that so many people just want to do to help, it can actually cause a lot more harm. And so that's part of like the Hippocratic Oath and like just like being like the, the medic is like, you know, do no harm. You know, you're not trying to cause additional harm to the patient. You might have to cut their skin or break their skin or do something to improve them, but that is a therapy. That is something that we are doing. So knowing that nuanced difference again, that scalpel, right? And why are we doing certain therapies? What's the reason right. behind it? Is this to help the patient or, you know, you got it. Yeah. Well, and, and the biggest thing, too, between a patient and a provider is, you know, the patient has to feel comfortable with your provider. It took me, I got involved with the Veterans Administration in, in October of 2014. And here it is, November 2020. The doctor, he's not a doctor, he's a physician's assistant. I met him about six months ago. And it took me that long, right, to find someone that I'm actually comfortable with. That's wild. It, and it's important that you find someone, as a veteran, as a patient, that you're comfortable with, that you think actually cares about you. Absolutely. And that's another thing that I learned, so I'm glad that you said that again, a good reinforcement, is I don't know why. I, when I get in my anxiety spikes, 
I don't, my senses aren't all there. I'm not, I don't have as much peripheral vision. I also don't have as much cognitive reasoning, right? That's the same yeah. thing to everybody, right? Because we're scrunching blood to do specific things to avoid danger. But, so I keep forgetting, like, I could have just told that doctor, like, you know what? I don't feel comfortable talking to this doctor. I want to talk to somebody else. She's obviously not listening to the words that are coming out of my mouth. She's obviously not listening to me say that I'm on my way to a wedding and I just broke my foot and I'm uncomfortable and I just had this conversation twice and I'm very triggered. And, of course, I'm going to start to vent here a little bit. But that would have been, again, the informed consent. He's like, no, listen, you're not listening. You're trying to throw a drug at me on our initial consult. You know what I mean? So, again, knowing you have the right as a patient to say you don't feel comfortable and you want another opinion before you execute any of these therapy plans. Right. That's exactly it. And, and I think there's a lot of guys out there that it doesn't even cross their mind. They're just like, oh, here's a VA. Pretty much I'm being told what to do. Because when you're active, face it. Yeah. When you go to military medical, especially at boot camp, and if that's all that you're really mostly familiar with military medical, then it's like, check, 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 check. Here's your little bag of pills. Now get. Yeah. You get the hell out of my face. Yeah. So okay. if you're used to that, if that's what you're conditioned to do, of course, you're naturally probably going to fall into that and just. Yep. And society as a whole trusts their medical professionals. Yeah, you know? and, absolutely. And I, they and went I to school for eight years. Yeah, and we should for the most part, you know. But when you're dealing with matters of mental health, mental health is a gray area. I don't care what anybody says, it's a gray area. There is no absolute. But there's so much that we don't know. Yeah. Really, yeah. most of the stuff that we're doing, for a lot of it, is just throwing spaghetti at a wall and, like, taking notes on how good of a job the spaghetti stuck and which places it stuck better and where the meat chunks are. Yeah, that's such a great way to put it, man. I'm glad you like it, you know? Yeah, well... I've been having a lot of pasta lately. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's this is fascinating. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your experiences and kind of, like, let our listeners know what it was like to go from combat to transition back to finally get that healthy relationship you know what i mean like you got that beautiful life beautiful family and and i just think it's so talked about a lot of things so i just want to ask you a quick question so like looking back now you've got the lens of man i want to help out i want to you know you're sharing all this knowledge with me and and listeners whoever chooses to uh, tune in but if you could just isolate a couple things one thing whatever sticks out what's the hardest thing for you about transitioning from professional warfighter or just four, you know, whatever, any whether four-year contract, military person or whatever, back into civilian life. What would you say was the hardest thing that you had to deal with in this, in that that transition? Realizing that I'm not in, and accepting my reality that hey, fixing to go through the biggest battle of my life, which is okay. How do I speak normally? How do I act normally? Wow. And, and I think that's been, and to this day, I still battle with that. Wow. So you, after going to combat, after getting freaking machine guns shot at you, IEDs, explosive rounds, whatever, you know what I mean? All of this, you saying your hardest battle is was your transition, and then you say you're still fighting that battle to this day. Yeah, because, I mean, you can understand this, and any veteran can understand this, you know, it's hard to, you know, one day have a uniform on and be around some guys that you know beyond a shadow of doubt will kill, will die for you and will kill for you. And then all of a sudden be in your apartment, going through a divorce, having two small kids, with nobody to talk to. I see. Yeah, you got, alone. Yeah. You don't, there's no help, it's just you, 
and you're just figuring it out. You're in a foxhole by yourself and you don't know what to do. Yeah, man. And, you know, that's where it becomes important to pick up that phone and get on isolated. I can't tell you how many... resources. Trust yeah. network. Yeah, dude. But, yeah, I can't tell you how many hours I've been on the phone with, with Joe Oliver. Just talking to him. Talking yeah. about what happened 15 years ago, 18 years ago. Talking about whatever, man. You know, getting your mind off of things. And realizing, hey, you know, it's okay to mourn. It's okay to yes, be pissed. That's something that I've been trying to learn. It's okay to grieve. It's okay yeah. to have a moment. Yeah, it really is, man. It totally is. Because that's like, being the warfighter, being that constant warfighter, it's like, man, I gotta keep up my shoulders back, my head straight, you know, and they gotta keep up that bravo. That, because the that men, move. the men will look you. Don't <laughs> show weakness in front of the men. <laughs> it's like, man, you know, that is such a, I don't know, like, when you're downrange, you need that, but dude, that can be deadly when you're back home on your couch. Absolutely. Okay? It can be deadly. And I'm dead serious when I mean that. That mentality can kill you over time. Sure. And, and sometimes you don't even know you have that mentality. You just no. have it. No, because it's institutionalized. Okay, people think inmates get institutionalized. You spend some time in the military, you're institutionalized. <laughs> okay. Right, absolutely. Okay, well, awesome. So, okay, so that was some of the hardest things. All right, what about some of the most fulfilling things that you've experienced um, in that period of your life, the dark times, the happy times, whatever? What have you noticed, experienced that you just see as, wow, that was or fulfilling, well, whatever? I had to go through some of the bad things to see it is Mama Cheryl's smile. You know, just looking at her smile, it's like, it's this bright ray of sunshine, man. It's like, you know, I love it. And watching the kids, I'll tell you something, man. Being a veteran, and, you know, I didn't go through half as much as some of these other guys have gone through, but my kids have been through it, you know. Yeah, that's and, the people around us go through it with us. So yeah. they're taking heavies, too. They're getting traumatized, too. Yeah, exactly, you know. And I can only imagine what some of these guys who have been through so much, you know, some of these guys, you know, their families, what they go through, you know. And because my kids have been through enough, dude. Like, if my kids could... could could just even realize what they've been through, I think it's probably write a book. Yeah, you know? for real. And so let's, can I, can I just kind of just, you know, that you're exactly that. It's like, that's just some of those, like, you call them like guardian angels, but like those, uh, those people in your lives, you know, that have just stuck with you thick and thin, no matter what, that have been there, either to say a prayer for you, to send you a message, to give you a word of encouragement, to send you a message, right? And like, as they see you go through those things, like, they are, they are feeling things. I think one important thing I'd like to highlight there, and I've said it before, but I want to say it again because I think it's very powerful, is whenever we're trained to do some quick medical interventions in the field, they train us with a statement that says the operator feels no pain. So even though I'm empathizing with the person as I'm, you know, maybe throwing a tourniquet on or pushing some drugs or, you know, cutting into their throat so that I can establish an airway, you know what I mean? Obviously, that has an impact on the person that's actually cutting into the throat, right? But the little coaching statement is the operator feels no pain so that you can put yourself a psychological barrier so that you can just do it and get this person right. safe, right? So now let's yeah. just caveat this into this new space of healing, right? This mental space or psychological space. All these people that have been putting finances, time, energy into supporting you, they're going to have to feel some things as they watch you struggle as well. So uh -huh. keep that in mind. You know what I mean? The operator yeah. does feel pain, and these operators, the people that have been supporting us, 
they've been feeling that pain throughout our journey as well. So that yeah. support network, that's your garden, whatever. So that goes back to making sure you're watering it, making sure you're cultivating it, getting the weeds out, like you said, finding those trusted things so that you have that right environment and safe space that you can turn yeah. to. And I've been calling that psychological white space or just white space in general. Well, yeah, psychological white space. But anyway, continue. Yeah, I mean, that is, that's actually some pretty profound stuff there. You know, You're the one that's saying it, man. I'm just summarizing. <laughs> well, yeah, I just didn't really think of it, you know, in that light there. But, yeah, I mean, it's really easy to get wrapped up in your own head. Definitely. But, you know, I consider somebody that has kids or that has a wife lucky in the sense that the other guy who doesn't have kids and doesn't have a, have a wife doesn't have that perspective to rely on. And, you know, it's that guy that uh, doesn't have a kid, doesn't have a wife, doesn't have, just has himself to worry about pretty much, that probably has it a little bit harder because, you know, it's, you don't have that other person there that you got to think about. And, Essentially, and I think a, a different way to put it might be is you have to create your own environment and your own stability. You don't have any other baseline around you to grab onto unless you choose that one. Right, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. You have to create that. Otherwise, you know, because until Elena and I met, you know, I was just boozing it up, just chilling when I didn't have my kids. That was the culture. That's what you did. Yeah. That's what I mean, was acceptable. That was the norm. So why wouldn't you? Yeah. And then, you know, all of a sudden I meet this, this beautiful woman who, since we've been together and, you know, we've gotten married now, I'm not, you know, on the verge of hurting somebody real bad. I'm not on the verge of just being pissed off all the time, you know, and, and it's just, without that, I think, without that pillar of emotional support, I think I would be in a much worse place. And, you know, how lucky am I to have such wonderful people, you know, talking about like Carol, Rachel, John, John Huntsville, Johnny and John Roberts, you know, because there's a few Johns there, you know, how lucky are guys like myself and Wellover and anybody else, uh, yourself, you know, to have them in our lives, because those people are just such amazing, amazing, amazing people, I mean, <laughs> when I think of them, I just want to hug them. I know, me too, they're so cool, I'm going to have to reach out to them today. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. That's awesome. So that's so funny. You brought up another thing. It actually happens to be the other question on my little list. So you talked about your most fulfilling, and you brought up a smile. It was actually Mama Cheryl's smile. So what I wanted to ask was where do you find your smiles the most or, like, your happiness, like, in your day-to-day -day or just whenever you need to kind of reset or just if you're not trying to reset. Sorry. Like, where do you catch yourself smiling throughout the day? That's what I was trying to ask. Where do you just, like, throughout your day, you just, like, in a moment, you're, like, you find yourself smiling, and it's just that moment of just, like, bliss or whatever, and you've caught yourself doing it. Your hand's in the cookie jar, and you're, like, this is pretty cool. Yeah, so I'm naturally not a smiler, and even when I find something to be, you know, to make me extremely happy or extremely funny, I tend to don't smile, but I'll tell you, when I, when I see... smile works as well. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they, we have some of those guys that look like that, have that chesty full of smile. Don't worry, man. He's smiling. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. I, the reference there, but <laughs> I like, no, I like it. I love it. But, you know, I would say that when I look at my kids a lot of times, you know, I got five kids to look at, and a lot of times they tend to bring it out, especially the youngest one. He's, I mean, 
So the youngest one, you said it's hard not to smile when the youngest one's around. Oh yeah, I mean he, the kid is just. <laughs> so right now you're finding your smiles in, in in your children. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, that's incredible. So I'm just gonna wrap this up, and what we have is I talk about kind of the, some of the things that I'm enjoying. So I want to say again, thanks for being on. We have a great brother from the United States Marine Corps, combat veteran, served with my good buddy and his battle buddy, uh, Jonathan Kyle Price. And it was recently the Navy's birthday, and we're transitioning into Veterans Day. So right now, I'm it's morning time for me. I'm drinking uh, some coffee from, it is Fire Department Coffee. They had a promotion. It was a Navy's birthday promotion. So they have their Shellback Espresso. And I'm a sucker for good promotions and good coffee. The, I got the Shellback Espresso for the Navy birthday promotion, and then also a spirit-infused coffee. So you know me, I'm used to drinking, you know, bourbon-based bourbon in my coffee. Obviously, I dabble, I, you know, variety of life of life, but this is something I have not seen before. And this is a spirit-infused coffee, but it's not your common ones like bourbon or whiskey. This is actually tequila-infused coffee. So that's what I'm enjoying today. I had a very strong batch of the Shellback Espresso yesterday, but great product, and again, supporting our first responders. 10% of the proceeds go to the medical treatment of ill or injured first responders in their demographics. So we have, you know, mental stressors, mental needs. We also have physical. So I want to thank uh, the Fire Department Coffee com is where you can find them. We'll list the notes of that in our show notes as well. So you'll have resources on where you can go to seek some support and help if you're trying to start your own support network right now or if you want to supplement it. I always encourage supplementation. See what else is out there. Where can you find help that maybe you didn't think about that you didn't even really know you needed? And now you can experience the benefits of it. So whenever I was connecting with the vet center recently and I've been trying to do yoga to stretch out and do rehab because I have you know, a lot of just different uh, injuries through what I do, yoga has been super good for me, and they say they've got classes that I can just go to for free. So there's lots of different resources there outside of just mental health, lots of group stuff. So we'll, we'll list resources for you so that you can find them and enjoy them. Everyone, just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for spending the time talking with uh, listening with uh, Kent and I. And Veterans Day. So reach out to veterans, just show them that support, you know, again. Understand that sometimes they need space. Isolation is something that veterans do a lot. So just know that, but also reach out to your veterans, honor them on Veterans Day, and thanks to the country and everyone for just giving us this space and you know supporting the troops. Everything that you guys do to support the troops, all the charities, all these things that you're doing is absolutely phenomenal, and, and you know it, it it keeps us going. It really does. So so don't stop. We appreciate it. And also, if you see a sailor passing by, make sure you give him some wood. So. Kent, would you like to share some final thoughts as we wrap up this episode? Yeah, just never find yourself in a isolated spot, and when you do, gather facts because you're in a danger zone. Post-traumatic stress is real. Suicide, suicide is uh, definitely real. If you don't think it can happen to you, then you're fooling yourself. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Kent, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. All right, thank you. Thank you for joining us today on this curious roller coaster of life. If this is your stop, please exit peacefully and enjoy the rest of your day. If you're ready for another one, just push play. A final note before you go, thank you. 
and thank you for feeling. The distillation and aging process is different for everyone. I'm not quite sure what you're ready for, so please sip slowly and enjoy responsibly. Baby says she's leaving if I don't stop drinking wine. So I switched to whiskey and I'm feeling fine. Drinking that smooth, smooth whiskey. 